I'll be reading Matthew 6, verses 12 through 15. I'm not going to preach on verse 13. That'll be next time we come together in the evening. But it's good just to read all of 12 through 15. Before we hear God's word read again, let us go to him asking for his help. Our Father, you are gracious to us. You know our dependence on the illumination of your Spirit, and so we pray for that right now. Will you please, by your Spirit, cause us to see the beauty of your truth in these words. Amen. Hear now the word of God from Matthew 6, verses 12 through 15. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Consider... These scenarios that are more or less common in both Christian and non-Christian homes. Two toddler boys are jumping on a trampoline. One accidentally bumps into the other, bonking his head. Uh, But the hurt one retaliates, tackles the accidental offender, and begins punching him in the face. Or a leading teen in a gaggle of girls whispers false words to the others about how their friend, the one approaching them this very moment, how she had done some pretty bad things with her boyfriend the other week. As it turns out, the supposedly immoral girl heard these whispers, and that wasn't difficult because the one who shared this information fully intended for that woman or that girl to hear what was said. Or a boss enters the cubicle of his employee and sees him playing video games and watching endless cat videos. He's sympathetic, but he also knows work needs to be done. And so he asks the employee if he was on a break, and the employee says, no. And how long have you been wasting company time? Oh, just the first hour, came the reply. Or... A husband comes home early to surprise his wife with flowers and news that the babysitter is on the way so they can enjoy each other's company out on the town, only to find her enjoying someone else's company in their own bedroom. These common situations are occasions for Christians to practice forgiveness. Some in these scenarios need to ask for forgiveness, and others need to confront them, confront their sibling. And without forgiveness... Relationships fail, and we should all just live alone, away from everyone else. But such lifestyle is not what our Lord has created us to lead. He wants us to work hard in our relationships, and one of the ways that we labor is the gracious act of love that we call forgiveness. The fifth petition we read here is the spiritual foundation for our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. We pray for the grace of our Father's forgiveness, and we forgive like our Father. By the unmerited grace of our Father, our debts, our trespasses are forgiven. 
Now, there is a debate among theologians, isn't there always, about what uh, the right word is to use here for the Lord's Prayer. Do we say, forgive us our debts, or do we say, forgive us our trespasses? It is a good conversation worth having. After all, words matter. And because, well, both words are used in our text. In the petition, Jesus uses the word debts. And when he explains it in verses 14 and 15, he uses the word trespass. And in Luke's account of this prayer, Jesus uses the word sins. So which is it? Debts, trespasses, or sins? All of them. The Anglican tradition, which gave us the Book of Common Prayer, uses the word trespass. The Genevan Bible and the King James Version, however, use the word debts, and that's what we have adopted. That's what we pray. We pray debts, but to have a full understanding of this prayer, we need all of the words. What is a debt but that which is legally owed to someone? This is how Paul uses the word in Romans 4, verse 4. Now to one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, or translated literally, as his debt. What is owed? If an employee does not get his paycheck for his labor, he is denied what he is owed. It's not a grace from his boss to give him the check. It is the man's right to receive that check for his labor. Every worker of evil, then, is owed something by the Lord of holiness. Now, what are we all owed by the Lord of holiness? It is internal penalty, death. In the United States, we all seem to love debt, don't we? At least our actions lead us, lead us and, our, and others to believe that. We have incurred all kinds of debt, personal debt, credit card, home, vehicle, school loans, state debt, national debt, and the numbers are rather staggering, aren't they? If you really want to be discouraged, and of course you do, just go online and look at the U.S. debt clock in real time. If you've seen this, you are amazed. $31 trillion and counting. The numbers rise literally by the second. We rightly wonder if the national debt will be paid before Christ returns. Indeed, if someone spent $1 million per day, each day, since the time Jesus was born, it would take another 719 years before $1 trillion were spent. Just $1 trillion. If you laid $1 bills to end-to-end, uh, $1 trillion would stretch nearly from the earth to the sun. Or it would take a military jet flying at the speed of sound, reeling out a roll of dollar bills behind it 14 years before it reeled out $1 trillion. That's a lot of money. It's unfathomable. That's why many people have come up with these different analogies of trying to get our minds, to wrap our minds around the massive debt that we owe as a nation. Now, given our current spending, we kid ourselves if we think that this will ever be paid off. But what is this monetary, national debt compared to the debt that we owe God because of our sin. This is, the, this is the message that Jesus was communicating in Matthew 18 of that parable of the unforgiving servant. He was released of all this debt. Trillions of dollars. 
or as one commentator says, zillions. Zillions of dollars of debt. And yet he couldn't release this other man who had offended him just a couple or a few months' worth of debt. William Perkins says, even as a debt does bind a man either to make satisfaction or else to go to prison, so our sins either to satisfy God's justice, bind us either to satisfy God's justice or else to suffer eternal damnation. So those are our options. To satisfy divine justice perfectly or suffer damnation. Or, of course, have someone who will satisfy that debt. Jesus demands perfection. We saw that in the call to confession of sin this morning. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And since Jesus demands perfection, how can I ever repay him? How can you and I ever be declared righteous in his sight? And Jesus doesn't say here, forgive forgive me my one debt. But even if he did, that would be enough to condemn us, wouldn't it? But it is debts. And as the national debt spending rises, so do we continually spend grace on our passions. As Kevin DeYoung reminds us through this petition, we are always debtors to mercy. Of course, he doesn't mean this to say that we are trying to repay God, trying to repay Christ for his work. What he is he's emphasizing here is our neediness, our dependence on the mercy of Christ, his merit. Is this how you see yourself? Someone who is always dependent on the pardon of God, the daily forgiveness of your sins. These debts Jesus calls later trespasses, and the word means missteps. And not in the sense of softening the sin, as some so often do. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Well, that's one thing, to misspeak. I misspoke earlier, saying misty and not mystery. But I wouldn't say that was a sin. The word speaks to the loss of one's footing. Such loss that has disastrous consequences. Joseph once found himself in a pit. But not because he cast himself in the pit. Because his brothers threw him in there. He was in a pit, but he couldn't get himself out of it. And he cried to his brothers, and they were not sympathetic to his cries. Our situation is different from that. Because in Adam, we cast ourselves into the abyss of eternal darkness. Choosing ourselves over our creator, over our God, we threw aside his law and threw ourselves down into the pit, thinking that in the pit are pleasures forevermore. So our debts and our trespasses come in all of the twisted shapes and sizes of sin. Original sin, the source of all our sin. Known sins and unknown sins. Willing sins, unwilling sins. Sins of omission, sins of commission. Sins of thoughts and Sins of words, sins of deeds, a lot of sin. Sometimes our children might feel guilty when 
their parent is mentioning their sin, and they might say, you know, you're really laying it on thick, Dad. You really handed it to me, Mom. Is it, is it really that bad? And the answer is, no. It's much worse. I, I want you to have just a taste of the seriousness of what you are doing. It really is worse. So wake up. We don't even see our sins well enough. We don't see our debts, our trespasses with, with, with greatest clarity. We're too often pleased with ourselves, with what we've done for the day. But if we were to hold our actions, our thoughts, our, our words to the light of the holiness of God, we would see that they fail to measure up every single time. In themselves, they fail. Not once, not once have we loved God perfectly. Not even for one moment of the day. And here you are in church, evening worship, no less. And you think, well, am I not worshiping God right now? Isn't this what he calls me to do? Yes. But are you worshiping him right now perfectly? No. Even as I'm speaking to you, I am not a perfect worshiper. I am not a perfect preacher. You all know this. We fail to measure up in every way. This is why then we cry out, Father, forgive us. We are literally desperate, without hope, save in the sovereign mercy and grace of God. And the more we grow in our knowledge of sin, the more we ought to bemoan it, the more we ought to cry out because of it. And say with Paul, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's Paul. Converted Paul, speaking that way. And we love Paul. And Paul wasn't the standard of holiness, but he was up there. And he acknowledged his own sinfulness. Should we not also lament our grievous ways? We pray it for ourselves. We pray, Father, forgive us, because we need it. And we also pray it for others as well, because we are not the judge of all the earth. Now, you might be upset with that brother who has offended you, who has broken God's law. Now, let me ask you, are you upset more that he offended you or that he broke God's law? Nevertheless, don't pray for your father to let loose the hounds of heaven, to maul your brother's body, and to lick up that bloodied mess. Do not pray imprecatory prayers for your brothers and sisters. No, no, but pray for the Spirit to convict him, to convict her. And do not grumble when God grants that conviction. When we cry out for forgiveness, we are pleading for a full forgiveness. We are pleading for forgiveness from our past sins, all of those sins commonly called B.C., before Christ, all those things that we committed in thought, word, and deed before Christ changed us, before Christ converted us, all those sins 
However many years we lived, all those sins we accumulated, we need forgiveness for those. Those sins from 70 years ago, those sins from last year and last month, last week, last night. We need forgiveness. We need present forgiveness. The stuff of your original sin acting out even now, you need God to forgive you your present sins. And you know that you won't stop sinning. There will be more sins to come, sadly. And so we need to pray for future forgiveness. The Christ-denying, yes, Christ-denying and father-rebelling sins that you will commit in a few seconds. That you will commit tomorrow, this week, this month, next year, in 40 years from now. And on and on. You need past forgiveness, present forgiveness, future forgiveness. We need our Father's forgiveness, His full forgiveness. Full atonement can it be. Nothing less will satisfy thee. So do we really need to ask ourselves, since I have full forgiveness, why do I pray for it daily? Why am I being taught this daily prayer, forgive us our debts? Perhaps you've wondered that. And maybe you don't so much care for that weekly Lord's Day confession of sin. And you object, you say, well, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why then would I need to pray this prayer? Why do we have to go through the, the rhythm, the routine of confessing our sins every week corporately? Well, well, for one thing, you and I are still sinners. Yes, we are saints. We are devoted by God to God. Thanks be to God, but we also sin. It's what we do. On earth, even though we have been forgiven fully, we still sin, we still offend, and so we still need forgiveness. And this then leads me to another important piece in this petition. Notice it is, the beginning is our Father. It's Father. It isn't judge. By grace and mercy alone, the relationship has changed from judge to father. A father in a home will not disown his children. The aroma of the home is to be the sweet, satisfying scent of love just permeating the house. But his children will regularly, perhaps even daily, break the house rules, won't they? What will his children do when they break the house rules? Shall they say to themselves, oh, well, I'm his child. I don't need to ask dad for forgiveness. He's always going to love me, so I don't need to come to him. Is this how his children should see him? Is this how his children should see life in the home? Just disregarding dad because, well, dad loves us. That's presumption, isn't it? No, his, his children should come, they should confess breaking the rules, and they should ask dad for forgiveness. And the father, being a good and loving dad, is zealous to forgive them. In the same way, we often break the rules of the household of God, our father. And so we come to him, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess not because our righteous standing is somehow now threatened, because our actions don't reflect 
the treasure of the relationship that we have with our Father in Christ. This is a prayer that is hopefully prayed. This is why we can pray this petition with full confidence. Remember the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. And we saw last time that this is not really a demand. Same thing here with this fifth petition. It's not, you better forgive me, Father, or else. Or else what? No, that's not what Jesus is exhorting us to. This is an urgent plea. It's, Father, forgive us. We need your forgiveness. We know how dependent we are on the Father's good grace of forgiveness and that without his loving debt cancellation, we are utterly hopeless. Like all children, our own children sin daily. Yes, even pastor's kids will sin. Sorry, children, I've outed you. Though it is humbling, pride-swallowing, surely, for them to come to us to acknowledge what they have done and ask for forgiveness, I doubt that they ever think that we will deny them forgiveness. I don't think they come to us thinking, oh, is he going to forgive me for this for this time? Well, maybe they would. But if so, that would just show the contrast between me, my wife, and, and God. We always go to our Father, knowing with confidence that whenever we go to him, he is there to forgive us because of Christ. And so we pray, and we pray daily, Father, forgive us, we humbly ask. And we look at the final verses in this section, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know, we don't forgive in order to be saved. We forgive because we have been saved. Remember, the relationship here is between children and their Father in heaven. This prayer assumes that relationship. And that adoption that we have from God is a grace an irrevocable grace, one that is not threatened by our sins, but secured by the satisfaction of the Son. Now, forgiveness is, is not a lot of things. And one thing it is not is, the, is necessarily the removal of consequences. An employee might steal the company's goods, might curse out his boss, only to ask for forgiveness later on, and even return company money. Granted, but he could still be fired for stealing company's goods and cursing out his boss. Or you think of adultery. A husband might commit adultery and be genuinely repentant and sorrowful for his sin and ask his wife for forgiveness, and she might truly grant him that forgiveness. That doesn't strip her of that biblical ground to sue out a divorce. He might lose that marriage because of his sinful failing. He might lose then trust with his wife and his children. These things have consequences. Of course, David was an example of this as well. In his sin against Uriah, against Bathsheba, Jesus... or. The Lord, through Nathan, assured David that his sins were forgiven. 
But there were also consequences. Most immediately, the death of their child. And then eventually, the division of the kingdom. But David was still truly forgiven. What forgiveness is, is is saying, I will not require that you repay me for this moral offense. I will not seek revenge. I will not hold this over you for a later time. I'm not going to put this in my back pocket, only to come and when you, you know, when I've done something against you, now say, well, you did this against me, and see, now we're even. That's not the kind of transaction that our Father wants us to enact. We say, I will not dwell on this. I will not remember it in the sense of bring it up to you again as something for which you need to pay. I will release you of this debt as God in Christ has released me of all my debts against him. We say with Joseph, am I, am I in the place of God? Certainly, Joseph sinned against the Lord. Although, interestingly, we never see his offenses in the Genesis narrative. We, don't, we never see his offenses against God. It's not to say he was an exception. It's just to say there's no record of it. But he knew that he was not the judge of all the earth. And he knew his own neediness. And he knew the Father's presence and forgiveness. And that's why he says, am I in the place of God? Of course I'm going to forgive you. And so comforts them. When your brother or sister repents, this is what you do. You grant them forgiveness. It is really that simple. As difficult as it might be, it really is simple. That's the transaction. They acknowledge their sin. They ask for forgiveness. You forgive them. You don't really have any wiggle room from Jesus. Well, I don't know. Well, Jesus knows. Your heart, I've heard it said, your heart has has wrapped up the present of forgiveness and has put it at the door, just waiting for that person to come and seek reconciliation, to seek forgiveness. And you say, yes, I forgive you. In 1546, a widow came before Calvin's consistory because she had not taken communion in six or seven years. And they only had it four times a year. And so just made that time together all the more important. And she must have had a good reason for not taking Lord's Supper in almost seven years. Well, her reason was she refused to forgive a man who had killed her brother. And that's, that's not like someone just cutting you off in traffic. It's cutting off your own brother. And her heart was, was bitter. It was angry. Not so much against God, but against this man. And she even admitted that she changed the precious words of our Lord here. She asked that God would forgive her more than she could forgive her brother's killer. This woman knew the meaning of this petition. What we are praying is, God, please treat me as I treat others. Will you pray that? Treat me as I treat others. That certainly does require some self-examination, doesn't it? 
The problem, as this woman saw it, was that her case was special. That she wanted the request adjusted. Forgiveness is like candy and kids. We love getting it, but we don't like giving it out. Except for maybe on Halloween. We love to, to receive forgiveness, don't we? We cannot live without it. We know how dependent we are on that transaction. We know as we, we bear our soul to our God and to, the, to someone that we have offended, we need that person to forgive us for our relationship to be right, be restored. We can't live without it. Oh, but wait. When it comes to forgiving other people, well, that's a bridge too far. That's an offense too big. That lie that she told is, is one lie too many. It's unforgivable. I can't trust her, and so I can't forgive her. Erroneously equating the two of, of trust and forgiveness. Those are not the same. Or that fight that he started, yeah, I'll never be able to forget and forgive that. That thing that her child did to my child, it's inexcusable. So what if she apologized? I cannot get past it. Well, dear ones, can you imagine your father having that attitude towards you? And he didn't have to forgive you in the first place. He could have just given us what we deserve. In eternity, under his wrath. But by grace, he gave us his only begotten son. So that if we believed in him, we would have eternal life. Our Father has richly provided full forgiveness of all our sins. Let us rejoice in that. Let us follow the way of our Father. In these ways, then, we extol and we adorn the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we do not forgive as, as perfectly as you do. We thank you that you have given us perfect forgiveness for our past, present, and future sins because of Jesus Christ and him alone. And so we see this prayer and we, we ask for grace, for faith, to forgive others, to have compassion on others because you, O oh Father, have had compassion on us in Christ and by the power and ministry of the Spirit. Help us, we pray. Amen.